0: Hi everyone, Alexandra here. I'm so glad that you have tuned in today to listen to my podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be speaking about finding hope in the midst of mental illness and finding hope in supporting someone with mental illness. The aim that I have for this podcast is to reach two audiences. The first being those who have mental illness that are searching for hope and seeking to feel less alone and more understood on their journey of healing by listening to a fellow peer who struggles with mental illness. I know what it's like to have a particular diagnosis and be surrounded by a group of people who do not have the diagnosis that I do, and I have needed to learn how to navigate that. I have also taken initiative to reach for support when it wasn't easily found, and so I want to share some of that process with you all. The second being, this podcast is also for people who do not have mental illness, but want to learn about how they can care for a loved one that they know that struggles and grow in their ability to show sympathy, as well as for people who have been caring for a loved one with mental illness that hope to feel a little more understood in their process of caring for their loved one. If anything of what I have just shared with you describes where you are currently at, then I am confident that this podcast will be a benefit to you in some way. I'd also like to stay up front that I am not currently a professional counselor, but I am someone with real personal experience in seeking healing and recovery from mental illness. There are people that have given their lives and spent years of training to care for people with mental illness and no insights that I share replaces a need for professional help to be sought out if you or if someone that you love is struggling. I simply seek to be peer support and an empathetic voice and sharing my own story and a friend to people pursuing healing and recovery. I also seek to be a voice of hope to those who have loved ones struggling with mental illness. So what is mental illness? This might be a new term for some of you and a term that other people already know well there are mood disorders such as depression and bipolar disorder anxiety disorders personality disorders psychotic disorders such as schizophrenia eating disorders trauma related disorders such as ptsd and substance abuse disorders as you can see it's broad mental illness isn't a one-size-fits-all puzzle piece Everyone's story and everyone's experience is different. Everyone's diagnosis comes from a different cause, whether it being trauma-related or whether somebody is genetically predisposed to something, such as like if there's uh, family genes like associated with anxiety, things like that. Everyone's process of coping and healing is so different. Everybody has different struggles, different trigger points of things that upset them or cause them to feel a certain way. What works for me, something different might work for someone else. Everyone's journey is particular to them. One of the greatest pursuits that we can seek as a human being is to learn how to be sensitive to others' life journey. It's key to recognize that we are not the savior of someone else's life and journey, but we can be encouragers and a healing presence with our kindness. The difference between a victim and a victor isn't someone who has gone through a ton of trauma versus someone who hasn't. The difference between a victim and a victor is in how someone chooses to respond to their own pain and suffering and the suffering of someone they love. This podcast was created from my choice to use pain and life experiences with struggles with mental illness for the purposes of good. So prior to recording this episode, I have asked and interviewed someone who does not have mental illness some questions regarding supporting their loved one that does have mental illness about what the journey has looked like for them. I will be sharing the questions and answers with you from the Q&A interview so that you can get some insight into what their real life process looks like. So the first question, what has been the hardest part for you in seeing somebody that you love struggle with mental illness? What are some common emotions that you feel regarding the situation of your loved one? And the first answer, the main thing I feel is feelings of helplessness, having compassion but not being able to fix things. Second question, how have you chosen to be there for someone in mental illness? What advice would you give to somebody that has a loved one with mental illness? And their answer was, I'd say mainly by pointing them to professional help, but also being there for them and being an effective listener and a compassionate ear. Don't try to have all of the answers. This is key because sometimes even my attempt of encouragement isn't always helpful and it can be triggering and come across as insensitive. The third question, what have you learned from someone that has mental illness? How has knowing them and being their friend made you a better person? And their answer i would say that i've learned that each day is unpredictable for them they can have good days and they can have bad days and certain things can be triggers in a day that you're totally unaware of you can trigger someone unintentionally however i have been inspired by my loved one's emotional awareness and emotional intelligence it has opened up my eyes to a different realm of emotions that i don't usually experience I have learned when someone draws away from you to self-isolate, it doesn't necessarily mean that they want to be alone. It could be a cry for help, and they just may be afraid of rejection. Wow, what an answer. The fourth question, how do you choose to respond to your loved one when they get bothered and triggered by something? And their answer, I choose to give them space to process when they want and need it to connect to the bigger picture of why they were triggered. The fifth question, what do you perceive, your loved one with mental illness, what do you perceive their need to be? And their answer, they need someone to support them, love them, and comfort them, even if they are afraid of being rejected where they are. So I hope that this interview has been beneficial for you and that you've gleaned and learned some things from it. So now I want to share about how my life has been impacted by a few people who haven't had mental illness that have chosen to care for me anyways. So I'm going to be speaking again personally from my experience. This is not the case for everybody with complex PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Many do not want to be touched for legitimate reasons, and if they don't want to be touched, you better respect that. If somebody reminds me an appearance of a former abuser, I don't want to touch them or be near them. However, healthy, genuine touch without manipulation involved is so healing for me. Receiving hugs where a friend approaches me and comes up to me and has a sincere smile on their face, it really makes my day. Whenever someone tells me that they have been praying for me consistently, it overwhelms my heart with joy. And the little surprises really make a difference. Like if someone decides to cook a meal for me when I'm not feeling the greatest or wants to go out to eat or go on an adventure out of the house, like these things may seem small to somebody else, but don't underestimate it. They really are powerful actions of love. So oftentimes, those who are healthy, they can actually feel like it backfires on them, and like they are in, and like they are inadequate or disqualified to help someone suffering if the suffering has not been their own experience. They therefore conclude that help is only limited to someone who can offer it like a professional psychiatrist, a professional counselor, a nurse, or a doctor, or somebody that has been through the exact same circumstances as them. This is a lie that says it's impossible to make a difference in the life of somebody with mental illness unless you're a counselor. You don't have to have mental illness as a prerequisite to love somebody else who does. Professional support, like seeking the support of a counselor, is absolutely essential. I believe that it is always to be a first priority, but relational support is crucial, or else if it's not there, it contributes to deeper pain. So family, peers, and friends are also to be key support points for one who is struggling. And I want people who aren't struggling with mental illness to know that them being well and healthy is really a strength. It's what they do with that strength that matters. Will their strength make them apathetic towards others because they are feeling great, or will their strength be used for healing purposes? So, whatever areas we possess strength in in life, it's to be used for purposes of humility. Strength is to be used for the purposes of helping others, those who are struggling or those who are broken. Strength isn't meant to be just be sheltered or kept to ourselves. So if we are well, how will we promote wellness and use our health for the purposes of greater good? On the other hand, if we are not feeling well, how can we use our strength of understanding what it's like to experience pain and suffering in some areas? How can we use this to educate others and to be a strength to those that have not been taught possibilities of action steps of how they can care for somebody in our shoes, somebody that's struggling with mental illness? So if you're not feeling well, keep things simple and take care of yourself. This is super important. Often, there can be pressure to do more than the basic things. Pressure to be extravagant, pressure to be okay, pressure to be super successful, pressure to feel great all of the time. Only take on what you have the capacity for. If anyone is guilting you for doing less than what they think that you should be doing, that's on them and not on you. So what are some reasons why people might stand their distance and not associate with someone with mental illness? So the first reason, if they already know you're in a sensitive spot, maybe they don't want to trigger you. They don't want to trigger you with their ignorance or they don't want to just trigger you overall in general. The second reason. Maybe they don't know how to help and so they don't perceive themselves to have any solution so they think that it's best to just stay out of the equation. The third reason, maybe in their own schedule, they simply are busy and they only have limited time. And many people, they often fear People that have mental illness, they fear them becoming overly reliant on them. But the truth is, is that you can set boundaries with love and warmth and still be supportive of another person in the interactions that you do have with the boundaries. And the fourth reason, some people only want to be around positive vibes or super encouraging people all of the time because they themselves are in a negative place. And so it's hard for them to be around somebody also that is struggling and just wants to talk about the negative stuff that's going on so personally as somebody that has struggled and that struggles with ptsd it's easy to regularly perceive people as indifferent to your condition and honestly you can feel like you have a big dark cloud over your head like you're fighting all these internal and mental battles that nobody gets or knows about But honestly, from what I've been told by a loved one is that I look better than I have been describing that I feel to them and that others would have never known I was in the place that I was in unless I spoke up and communicated it and said something. This taught me a lesson that I cannot expect somebody to mind read and know what I am going through, that I must communicate my feelings and let those who are meant to be in my life value me there. If my feelings overwhelm someone else and if they do not want to be a part of my life because I shared where I was at, it is not the end of the world. And if you find yourself in that same place where people are overwhelmed by what you're saying to them, by you just being yourself, it's not the end of the world. If people leave your life when you are yourself because the right people will love you for who you really are when you're being fully authentic and fully, fully honest I would personally would rather be authentic and loved by few but feel free in that reality of being myself than to try to pretend to be loved by many but to live superficially or walking on eggshells. Sometimes sadness and anxiety can really show in a way that other people can identify with, but other times it comes in ways that we are only we ourselves know and it doesn't show to the world in a way externally so that they could outwardly validate it. And sometimes we want to hide the fact that we are triggered. And sometimes we think that people should automatically know that we are hurting. And so then we feel frustrated when others don't acknowledge that we are or seek to comfort us. I would say some of the deepest pain is feeling like the majority of people go their merry way. And it can feel like people treat you conditionally with only conditional love. It can feel like the way that they are treating you or even aren't treating you speaks, I'll see you when your pain is gone, see you on the other side. It's a common feeling to feel like the world is just apathetic, like celebrating you and your greatest accomplishment, yet ignoring you and your greatest suffering. Yet people can't care about what they don't know exists when they don't know what's going on behind the scenes. The people who stop to care and to check in to care for you upon you being open with what you're going through are like rare gold found in a treasure chest. These people are like rare gold found in a treasure chest. So give yourself the opportunity to be cared for by others because you're worth it. And if somebody does not take up that opportunity to care, it is their loss. But I'm going to be super honest with you guys. The fear of rejection is what leads us to not even want to risk that opportunity to be vulnerable, that we need support, especially when we have experienced many people not caring in the past. And it just seems like a continual pattern happening. The unhealed, suppressed pain of people not caring is what needs to be processed at our own pace, and it can feel hard to break the worldview that nobody cares when that's what you were taught by abandonment and abuse and neglect in some of your most vulnerable moments in life, especially if your trauma happened in childhood. Choose to accept and care for yourself if people reject the opportunity to care for you. The only one who really knows what's happening behind closed doors is yourself and God. Validating myself and being validated by God, I have found to be the best remedies for myself. I've also had to learn that sometimes people that aren't able to be there in person for whatever reason, they do care about me and they do care for my well-being. And so I've had to learn to not take their busyness personally as a personal attack against me. So everyone has a free will choice in life. We cannot force somebody who is well and healthy or that doesn't have mental illness to love us. We cannot force care, even if we feel entitled to it. The care that we are desperate to experience outside of ourselves is actually care that we need to give ourselves, self-care. People are not entitled to care for everybody in the world. Think about it. There are billions of people out there, and the only one who can care for everybody in this world at one time with perfection is God and God himself. When you're an empath and an empathetic person, this can sometimes feel super hard to grasp. If you are an empath, similar to myself, you can feel drawn to care for people, and it seems unthinkable. Thinkable and ruthless that somebody could be heartless to somebody else in their trauma and believe me I have wrestled with this this was something that I had to really understand and come to grips with but not everybody is going to care about my PTSD diagnosis and that is okay I have to learn how to be okay with that reality. What matters is that I am caring for myself upon my diagnosis. And if you are struggling with mental illness, what matters is that you are choosing to care for yourself, whatever, regarding whatever your diagnosis is, that is what matters is that you're choosing to care for you. And thankfully, in my experience, I've found that God is not heartless like people have been. In the moments where receiving care from people seems like a joke or like even like a distant fantasy, I've learned that there's so many ways to find care. Oftentimes, the care just comes in a different way, in a different timeline, in a timetable than we are expecting it to come. Now I'm going to talk about fear for a minute. So what does fear do? Fear tries to keep people who feel overly emotional and triggered away from people that are healthy. Fear also tries to keep people away that are healthy and doing well from those who are struggling. Have you ever had this thought? I haven't known too much trauma, so I can't possibly care for someone who has, or I only had one distressing event, but I got over it, And it didn't interfere with my daily functioning. So I can't do anything to help someone who is struggling to function daily if I have not had that same experience. So that right there is a limiting belief. The truth is is that you can buy somebody a gift or you can treat somebody to a meal who is in pain and you can pray for them. There's so many ways that you can gift them with love even if you have not experienced the same experience that they have. So I'm just going to get real with you guys again. So having mental illness, one of the deepest pains is to feel misunderstood, almost as if your experience is exclusive and the first time it has ever happened on the planet. It's possible to have people around you and to still feel alone. Because their life looks so different than yours. And that's where comparison sinks in. And man is comparison an enemy. It's like you feel like you are walking through your human experience without seeing anyone in sight on a regular basis that is going through the same thing. And so you're looking for people to relate to where you are on your level. But those people aren't anywhere to be found. You're seeking to express yourself and hear the words, I get it. I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're going through. Yet those words, they don't come. If this has been your experience, you may be feeling hopeless and unsure if hope can ever actually be found. These thoughts may have come to your mind. How can one possibly find hope in the midst of isolation and feeling misunderstood and different in their human experience than everyone else? How do you find hope when therapy options that you are hoping to pursue don't open up because the therapists are busy and they don't have room for clients and the therapist is is the one that specializes in the main area that you were hoping to pursue therapy. And oftentimes this can be so convicting too because it's so easy to view like a therapist as a savior, like somebody like a therapist that somebody that's just gonna be there at your beck and call and just be able to make all of the wrong things right and so oftentimes like if we're not careful we can elevate like a therapist to the position of a god and and there i'm i love therapy i've been to therapy i'm i'm all for therapy but i just feel like that's something that we we should be careful of um just putting too much pressure on a therapist or just like thinking that they should satisfy and fulfill what we think that they should when really like they're human beings and they have a life and a schedule so we just have to we have to honor that and understand that and not be offended if a therapist doesn't have room for us right now and know that there's so many more opportunities that are out there certain things are out of our control but we can seek to find hope in seeking responsibility for our healing even if the process looks different than we thought it would look There is hope in pursuing action steps within our control instead of waiting around for somebody to do this or somebody to do that. Okay, so now these are three super encouraging points. I will share with you three practical ways of what seeking responsibility has looked like for me in my journey I'm not saying that you have to copy exactly what I've done, but I just want to share with you what's worked for me because I believe that that there's some good points that can possibly help you or your loved ones. So the first thing that's helped me is finding a support group. So I was able to find a support group where I have found that I'm not alone in my diagnosis. And this was something that was super relieving for me because my diagnosis was CPTSD, which is complex trauma, Um, complex post-traumatic stress disorder and so like PTSD is a lot more common than complex PTSD and so when you meet people that have been through the same thing it really does bring relief especially when the statistics of the people that have your diagnosis are lower than a lot of the more uh, mainstream diagnoses like anxiety or depression they have higher statistical rates. So finding a support group can bring hope and a sense of feeling understood in a safe environment. Feeling understood comes from being in the presence of somebody who gets it, and without them even having to say a word, it brings comfort. It's amazing at what opportunities are available upon doing the research to see what's out there in the world. Some of them are even free for you to attend besides buying like the main book that they use, There's many online groups if meeting in person doesn't work for you for whatever reason. Looking for credible online support groups are a great start, especially post trauma recovery. A laptop screen or your phone can still provide valuable connection in a safe way and a boundary, especially if you struggle with trust issues or warm, and yeah, especially if you struggle with trust issues and you struggle with the idea of. Being able to trust people again in person. Some groups even present the opportunity to do online or in person to accommodate to your own preference. So this is super nice that the flexibility is oftentimes offered like that. The second thing that has helped is finding and reading books, blogs, biographies, recovery stories, both success and struggle stories. Like I find both to be really encouraging because the success stories are like stories where people have overcome. And so like when you haven't overcome something, it gives you that hope like, yeah, they did it. So I can do that too. Like I can follow in their footsteps and their example. This is totally achievable. It gives you like that that push, that drive that you need to move forward. And the struggle stories are the stories that like remind you like, wow, okay, I'm not alone. Like somebody gets it or, oh my gosh, like this person's been through a panic attack like this. Like what they're describing, like I've been through that situation. And so it kind of like gives you like a fresh breath of air, a breath of fresh air, fresh breath of air, whatever way you want to say it, both work from another individual who has been through something similar or the same diagnosis it can be so so powerful when you hear a story that applies directly to you and the same goes for a podcast a book or a podcast can often make you feel more understood than a human being can listening is often empowering and inspiring there is hope in finding that you are not alone after all in your struggle. Just be sure to read and listen at your own pace and honor your healing process and never beat yourself up if we need to take a break or just pause to breathe. It's okay. And the third the third thing was I purchased a ton of different life coaching specialty courses and topics that I was interested in. So what's different about like therapy and counseling is like in counseling, like you're processing the past. You're processing what's happened getting to the root of issues, doing all of that. While life coaching, it's all future oriented. It's all, your focus from the present to the future. Like that's the orientation of it. We're in, we're in counseling like you're in the present, like you're processing what happened in the past so that you can get to the future. So it's a little bit different in the framework. But the courses have been so powerful for me to start directing my thinking forward and to help me get unstuck in my thought processes. So you to me, this is a platform. It's Udemy. It is an amazing international learning platform. They have so many options available catered towards your interests and in areas of desired growth at affordable prices, and they are a game changer. And so, yeah, so I want to share with you something else too that's really important is that it's important that we do not belittle somebody else's diagnosis or just like say oh my diagnosis is so much worse than yours and that comparison game like oftentimes we can feel like like our diagnosis is way worse than somebody else and honestly we need to validate like if some like if we know somebody has a diagnosis and whether it's complex or Whether it's a diagnosis that's more common, like we need to validate that. We need to validate that for ourselves and we need to validate that for our loved ones that it matters. And so something that we shouldn't say is, oh, like you just have anxiety or you just have depression. Like, thank God it's not this or thank God it's not that. Like we don't want to get in the habit of putting something Putting one diagnosis on a pedestal or just saying, like, your pain doesn't really matter. Like, we that's something, that's a pitfall that we want to avoid. And so before I wrap up this podcast, there is something that I have not experienced or received that I would have liked to have experienced from those in my life seeking to care for me in my healing journey. So very vulnerably, I'll take a deep breath here. I would like to articulate my own desire to educate others on this matter in hopes that it can possibly help somebody who may be wanting to help their loved ones struggling with mental illness. So some good questions to ask can be, is there a topic in our relationship or friendship that you don't want to talk about? Is there any place that you just don't want to go because it is triggering? And a point here for, th- for this question, is there any place that you don't want to go because it is triggering? Like, let them answer. Like, like sometimes they'll say, like, yeah, I don't want to go here because of A, B, and C. I don't want to go here because of this reason or that reason. But oftentimes, like, people just, like, they don't want to go to a certain place. So, like, if they share with you, great. Then you the full picture, then you can listen. But, like, don't push people too much. Like, you just want to make sure that you keep note and that you pay attention To the words that they say, like if you ask these questions, like make sure that you're listening and really take these answers seriously. Even if that means you have to write, make a note in your phone or write something in a journal, whatever it is that helps you remember will be something that is really helpful for you and your loved one. So is there anything that I can be aware of as a friend to make sure that I am being sensitive towards you during this time? Can you let me know if something that I say or do you find offensive so that I can seek to be more empathetic? What makes you feel loved the most in your healing process? What are some things that are helpful, like that would be helpful if people did around you? What would you find beneficial? What would you find encouraging? And lastly, a common pitfall to avoid Don't tell someone to just get over their mental illness or to toughen up in the name of being strong, especially when your loved one shows symptoms of depression or if they have a chemical imbalance in their brain and you know about it or you suspect one to be there. This is not of service to them. If someone is sad as a result of a chemical imbalance, it is not their fault. It is not their fault and to just tell them to just become happier and to cheer up and that their sadness isn't okay or that their sadness isn't welcome, it's very insensitive. It's important to seek to treat people who are sad with gentleness and with compassion. A psychiatrist and doctor can help you or your loved one come up with a plan to help with mood regulation treatment. When a chemical imbalance is taking place, seeking medical help from a professional is absolutely essential to get to the root of the issue. So if you have struggled or do currently struggle with mental illness, do you believe that it can be used for good? If so, how will you raise mental health awareness? How will you be a voice to those around you? What will be your role to play in advocacy? If you know someone who is struggling with mental illness, how will you seek to care for them? Do you believe, do you truly believe that your love and care for them matters? So I hope that something that I have shared with you, I hope that it has brought hope and encouragement to you right where you're at. If you are struggling with mental illness, please know that you are not alone and that you are extremely valuable. Even in all of the hidden struggles, it seems like nobody else sees Your place in this world really matters and I am so grateful that you are listening and breathing and that you haven't given up because I know that it's been hard. Keep pressing on champion one hour one day at a time and the greatest encouragement that I could ever give in life from my mouth is to hope in God when you feel weak and like giving up on life itself. God is hope in moments of despair and God knows how to bring hope to you in your circumstance. When in doubt, if you can make it another moment in life, just try try asking God for hope because God wants to bring it to you. He is faithful to bring it to you. If you are caring for somebody with mental illness or have made the decision to care for somebody that has mental illness after listening to this podcast, I wanna say thank you. I wanna say thank you for being teachable. I wanna say thank you for having a new desire to be open-minded and a new desire to be sensitive and a new desire to be helpful. Thank you for your efforts to care for those who have, have thank you for your efforts to care for those who have been through things that you haven't. Thank you for your love for those who are, thank you for your love for those that you have determined to care for. Your love impacts and goes further than you know, and I wish all of you listening much health, much hope, much happiness for the days ahead. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my podcast. Until next time, take care.